war in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Folks, remember, for all your tree service, well, you want to call Yankee Tree. Call them today, 401 439-6028 439-6028 Yankee Tree Service YankeeTreeService.com What can they do? They do it all Tree trimming Experts based right in Lincoln Tree removal Since 2006 And also 24-7 emergency service available Call Yankee Tree Service today 439-6028 439-6028 Whether it's tree removal Stump grinding Tree pruning emergency service bucket truck service and bobcat service since 2006 they've been performing tree removal service on top of that nothing stumps yankee tree service they provide stump grinding enjoy your landscape without the eyesore as far as pruning well let them get up there oftentimes a tree can be pruned instead of cutting it down at yankee tree service their licensed arbiters help you decide what's best the treatment plan for your tree and maybe it's an emergency service did something come down call them today 439-6028 439-6028 if they have to they get right up there in the bucket yankee tree service since 2006 tree trimming experts give them a call 439-6028 or online at yankeetreeservice.com Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, dePietro.com. It's Thursday, and I'm going to play for you some audio that is uh, it's really remarkable. Ed Fitzpatrick, he's political writer, columnist for the Boston Globe, uh, writer, I believe. He sat down with Governor McKee, and they, supposedly they're playing cards in the office, and it's supposed to be kind of like a friendly type interview, but I wanted you to hear it because it is all the buzz on this Thursday. The final debate is tonight. But boy, Governor McKee is very contentious in this. I'm going to talk a little bit during it. We're going to pick it up. I normally don't do this, but this is in fact Governor McKee. This is a Boston Globe podcast. This just came out. Where they're sitting down, and he's sitting down with uh, Rhode Island Governor Dan McKay. He's explaining the game they play. Uh, talking about playing cards with the mom, which is fine. This part's all fine. Folks, where do you hear how contentious this gets? He goes after Dan McGowan. He starts questioning Ed Fitzpatrick. He's uh, very, very contentious, ornery, defensive. This is not the type of final interview you want to hear. Now listen to this. Well, it's more polite. You say, may I, right? There's not as many as attack ads. Well, a lot more fun. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, this is... A lot more fun. It'll take skill, though. All right, I'm, I'm trying to get us straight, but I can't even come closer. Say, by the way, if jokers, did you leave the jokers in? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the jokers should be in because that's a big part of the game. Want me to put them in? So where's your jokers? Got One's on. Jokers are wild. wild? Oh. Here we go. And you love having jokers. All right, he's still explaining the I game. Here we go. That your mother talks about. You, you've got to uh, play the cards that you're dealt. You always make it seem like you were dealt a bad set of cards when you became governor. But just to be devil's advocate, I mean, you know, you came in when the pandemic was starting to ease, businesses were opening, you know, you got $2 billion in federal money. What do you what do you say to those who would say you were dealt a good hand? hand? I agree. That, yeah. Come on, please, take a look at where it was. We were the lowest vaccinated state in the country. We had 90,000 doses on the shelf. 90,000 don't understand the circumstances. I don't think they really look back doses on the shelf in the same way as they look forward. You do something, he's you blaming Ramundo, and all of a sudden it wasn't there. First, we've heard that 90,000 doses on the shelf. That's true. We were the lowest vaccinated state in the country. That's true. 
we had one of the highest death rates in the country. That's true. One of the highest vac- uh, highest infection rates in the country. And we weren't open. Our economy was not open. Folks, this is Governor McCain. Our small business and our businesses didn't know whether they were going to open up or not in March of 2021. And we had to work hard to actually change the, the, the game plan so they actually did open up. So the thought process, this is, this is part of the folklore, right? And sometimes when you get to the end, of, if you want to solve a mystery, you go to the end of the book and you know how it ends. But if you have to work through the entire process and you, and you do really well at it, then everybody takes their position just like you just did harder if you were governor right from the outset when it all starts to hit Rhode Island? Yeah, I think that the unknown there was larger, but the unknown was no bigger, no, no different. So far, he's still calm. I walked in. <clears throat> you had um, Dr. Nicole Alexander He didn't Scott like the question, though. Endorsing your opponent in the primary right before election Whoa, day. Whoa, he didn't like this. Is that what you're talking about with the pushback? You, you did get some criticism for your handling of the, that stage in the pandemic. All I know is that we're the best vaccinated state in the country right now. That's all I care about. I don't care about personalities in terms of internal discussions of how you got there. We are the fastest opening economy in the Northeast right now. I don't... Why wouldn't you put value in that, Ed? Tell me, why wouldn't you put value in that? Wow. Our schools were like in a hybrid, Ed virtual, in or out, masks on. Folks, this is Governor McKay. concerned about the safety of their kids. No teachers... Were, the teachers weren't a priority to vaccinate. Please go back and think about where we were and where it was being reported. This is supposed to be a casual. Just because now we vaccinated 90% of the teachers, but no one was going to vaccinate the teachers when I walked in. That's not true. No one was willing to open up a small business when I walked in. That's not true. So the notion that somehow. Here we go. Folklore that somehow that. You know, it's, it's, no, that frustrates me. I'm like somebody playing the wrong card in the May I, right? I mean, it is frustrating. For that story to be told and described that way when we all live through an estate of emergency that we've never seen before, right? And then when you talk about the schools, look, you've never been in the schools I've started, right? Have you walked into a Merrill Academy before? Blackstone Valley Prep, I've been up there, yeah. 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 I know education better than anybody that's ever sat in my seat. I'm the only one who's opened up schools. Achievement First, the same thing. The schools in Woonsocket on the, on the Rise Prep, same thing. Excel Academy is opening up because of the work I did. Teacher of America is in the state of Rhode Island because of the work I did. I don't think that necessarily that everybody's paying close attention to the skill that it takes to take you from where you were when I walked in to where we are today. The McKee administration has faced scrutiny. No, folks, listen FBI to this. Again, good morning. It's John DePietro. Normally never done this before, but this is Boston Globe podcast. Just dropped today. It's Ed Fitzpatrick with, with uh, Governor Dan McKee, who, listen to the next five minutes, he gets very irritated. In other, part, other parts of the state? All the nonsense is going around in that circle. All the nonsense um, is all politics. That's all it is. That's all it is. So we, I, haven't, I haven't changed direction. I put $47 million in the budget to open up municipal centers throughout the state of Rhode Island. We have 29 applications right now. As we start educating people about the learning, learning recovery, they're going to do it. And then we're going to make sure that they do three things with that money. Is one is they're going to show how we're going to uh, improve outcomes in reading and math. Otherwise, they're not getting the money. For all our kids, by the way, parochial school kids, private school kids, homeschool kids, charter schools kids, mayoral academy, district school. So there's $47 million in the budget, 29 applicants to open municipal learning centers around the state? Yeah, the, the, they have to do uh, learning, they have to do jobs, and they have to do health. So all three of those things need to be dealt with. The now, he's still staying measured. The money and Soon as FBI is mentioned have to meet my is when the train goes off the track. Listen to this. So we're not, we're not backing off anything about what I know need to be done. You're talking about the nonsense. I, I guess you're talking about your, your opponent is hammering you over the FBI investigation. It looks like we're going to go to Election Day without hearing the results of that. I results of that. I already told you results of that. Investigation. No, you that I know personally what it is. So it's a, it's really it's really look. You don't know the, the attorney general 
when he was asked publicly about the tactic of what they're trying to do or try to convince people of things that aren't true about me, he's called it unfair. She's dishonest. The people who are reporting this that are trying to shape it in such a way to make people this believe means Channel 12 being dishonest. Period. Be a point though where the U.S. Attorney, or the FBI, or someone says we've concluded our investigation, we've no found nothing. No Go call them. Did you want them to before election day? Go call them. I don't control what I don't control. Ask them. The Rona's answered the question. The attacks during this campaign are nothing but politics. People who are making the attacks are unfair. Channel 12. They're dishonest. Wow. And one of the words is shameful. Oh. And so when you talk about the work that I've done <clears throat> and then categorize me in a category like that, um, it's all about politics. I want you to make sure you hear me. And, I, and, and this is supposed to be a piece that is, that is uh, you know, Listen to this. a positive piece. I'm not looking for anybody to question what I just said. And that's what I get over and over again. Whoa. Right? Exactly. Oh, there's this and there's that. I'll go with the Attorney General, who, by the way, is supporting my campaign. That's not true. The other candidates. He said he's not. As well as the state police supporting my campaign. The FOP supporting my campaign. He gave the state police bonuses. I don't know whether that means anything to you, but it certainly means a lot to me. Sure. And, and this isn't meant to be positive or negative. I wanted to talk about what we're, you know, see about the card game, but also ask you about the issues you're facing in this race. Here's another issue. Now, folks, the listen to this. To release the student scores from the this Rhode is where Governor McKee loses his cool until after the election. and goes after McKee's opponent. Dan McGowan, who we had on yesterday of the Boston Globe. My colleague, columnist Dan McGowan, agrees. Listen to this. Dan McGowan's column, he said, Governor, you should release the damn RICAST scores. Like, if they were good, you wouldn't hold on to them after election day. Yeah, but that's accusatory, right? And and I'm tired of this. So, for the last two years. Alana says, let's wrap up. There's been a big effort. To show that somehow I was holding cards that I that you know that I wasn't willing to share. I don't have the scores. How clearer can I be than that? Yeah, the governor, can you make them come out before election day? Do you want to see that? They don't have the scores in the condition that they said. What well, I don't understand what what we don't get about this. All right. Last year. What's of this? Twenty fifth. The data was given to ride. 62 days later, follow this, please. Whoa. 62 days later, follow this. The information was made public. Did anybody complain about that time frame last year? One person. Tell me one person that complained about that time frame last year. Did you complain about that time frame last year? Actually, according to the state education department, Rhode Island received the test scores last year on August 20th. Now, folks, again, this is this year. They got the Boston Globe on September 12th. Ed Fitzpatrick. It's only come out after the election day. Governor McKee. You know, in, in election years. Bad argument. You know, and I know we're supposed to be playing cards here, but you're really rolling this into an area where I'm concerned about how you're going to report this. Whoa. So the fact of the matter is, did, did you complain about the 62 days last year? Just want to let you know. Did you complain about the 62 days last year? Did you complain about the 62 days last year? Oh. Do you think that you can go to the calendar and change dates? 62 days, no problem. Came out October 28th. They get the information on September 12th. 62 days later, just happens to be after November 8th. What is the difference in the time schedule? It wasn't a problem with you last year. Oh. Was it a problem with anybody involved in the campaign last year, whether they were working against me or not? No. You either believe right or you don't. Ride has the information on September 12th. There was a big effort last week to show that I, you know, somehow was incorrectly giving information. I'm worried about the storyline that you're ready to, the ready to report. <laughs> question. You, you can control the answers. You can't control the questions. I mean, I, I think you've answered the question. Well, it'd be interesting how you report it. Oh. Back to Dan McGowan. Yes. Tell him to report it correctly. Oh. And then I'll answer What's the question. Correct? No, I don't the correct go is... Information came July 25th. reported about the date was later last year. It was, but you got the information later. He thinks that you, as the chief executive of the state of Rhode Island, could make it happen if you wanted yeah, to. I'm telling you that's not true. Okay, you've answered the question then. Um, 
I just wanted to end with, if you're elected to a four-year term, what's the first thing you're going to do? Listen to this. I'm going to keep on doing the work I'm doing every day. Though for the next four years, uh, 2030.com. Go to this site. You'll see. I, never, there's a million things in 2030. What is your priority? What? What? You want to get elected? You want to be in there for four more years to do what? We're going to implement that plan, and the budget is going to reflect that plan. And we're going to invest in all our communities in the state of Rhode Island, whether it's in Galilee or Quonset or Pawtucket, or whether it's in downtown Providence or it's Learning Center up in Woonsocket. The groundwork has already been laid down, right? The work has already been done, and we're not going to change direction. We're going to continue with the plan, and it's a good plan, and it's going to raise people's incomes, and we're going to raise people's uh, health quotients, and we'll raise people's education. Uh, there's not one thing that, if, if somebody thinks there's one silver bullet, that drives the issue. I'm asking what gets you excited. If you're a governor in the next four years, what's the thing you want to achieve? I've kind of outlined that. We're going to raise people's incomes. Right. Well, I think that's governor won the game. Wow. I think I did, but that's another, that's another story. That's yeah, a lot of... Who do we uh, give the win to here? Wow. I will tell you, folks, and again, um, I know that's pretty extended. Boy, that got combative very very fast now governor mckee now again it's thursday the final debate is tonight channel 10 this thing is building he's going to be in a bad mood all day because of that ed fitzpatrick boston globe he makes accusations against channel 12 in that he makes accusations against dan mcgowan in that tell mcgowan to report it correctly Whew. wow um they're supposed to be sitting there playing cards, but the governor didn't like the first question, which I think was a. I think all the questions were fair, by the way. I think Ed Fitzpatrick did a fantastic job with that. But I, 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 to me, it sounds like Governor McKee didn't know even that they were going to be using the recording part of this. I, I don't, I don't get it because he's saying how I want you to report this, but his own words are being used so very difficult wow Whew. he didn't like some would say you were handed a good hand instead of a bad hand and it just went it went south from there on in folks it's thursday we're going to talk with our legal expert attorney tim dodd the race counting down now to tuesday much more ahead right here on the john DePietro show this is the perfect time of year to have some paving done for your home, residential, commercial, seal coating, and patios. Make it letter J, J Perry Paving. They provide high quality, fair pricing, exceptional service. Call them today for a free estimate, 401-732-1730. The next couple of months, get your driveway prepared for wintertime. Call J Perry Paving today for a free quote, 401-732-1730. Licensed and insured contracting company committed to meeting their clients' needs no matter how big or how small. Whether it's a brand new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed. Call J. Perry Paving today. Affordable, smooth, safe to drive on, aesthetically appealing. Remember, even asphalt can be recycled, reused. Call them for a free quote. Letter J. J. Perry Paving. Look for them on Facebook and call 401-732-1730. Remember, no one's better to veterans then J. Perry Paving, call them today, 401-732-1730. High quality, fair pricing, exceptional service, free estimate, J. Perry Paving, 401-732-1730. Folks, you are listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We begin at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, petro.com. It's time for our legal segment. Joining us right now, he is Rhode Island's top attorneys. He was our legal expert. He's attorney, Tim Dodd. And Tim, I want to start off. Um, someone was mentioning earlier, boy, it would be interesting if Helena folks was still in the race for governor with this CVS announcement. But, um, boy, CVS announcing that they have come to a settlement with this opioid to the tune of $5 billion. I can, uh, I can only imagine, Tim Dodd, how much has been uh, in the works to finally arrive at a settlement of that magnitude. Well, it's, it's, a, it's an astonishingly 
tragic story. Yeah. Um, to the extent that CBS, Walgreens, or any of the other major players um, who were involved in these Oxycontins and other drugs of that type, um, knowing that they were addictive, knowing that they were being overprescribed, knowing that they were being, you know, pushed heavily to consumers. Um, the question with any of these cases, if they had gone to trial, would be what did the pharmacy know? When did it know it? What did it know about the addictive quality or nature of these medications? Um, should they have done something more proactive to keep these drugs out of the hands of consumers or much less readily available to consumers? Um, I, I think it's a smart move for them to settle because if they took these cases to trial, they'd get it gets slaughtered. I mean, yeah. the publicity for the last decade has been negative. The um, human tragedies that have come from the overprescribing of these opioid type medications has been overwhelming. Um, from a business move, I think it makes sense. They're buying their piece at a very stiff price, but they would probably pay out more if they took individual cases to trial. Yeah. It, Tim Dodd, is this just one of those that um, it, it, it seems like a lot of money? It is a lot of money, but who knows? Uh, as you say, it's far more worth it to them to settle this, put it behind them, as opposed to, my God, if this ever saw the inside of a courtroom, who knows where this thing could go? Yeah, and there's a lot of cases in the tobacco litigation. There's been other high-profile yep. cases where they have just an enormous pile of money set aside. Um, some of the mesothelioma cases fall into that category. Um, so now there'll be money available, you know, and how much will get to the victims and how much will be glommed by different states and cities. Um, that will be the next fight as to how this money is apportioned. Where does it go? Um, as we know from other um, settlements of this type, many times the state of Rhode Island will get a piece once they get their piece, where does it go? Who the hell right. knows? Yeah. Tim Dodd, also, um, a big part of the CBS announced the deal, but also did not have to admit any liability or wrongdoing um, and said that the non-financial terms uh, remain to be re re resolved. Now, is there a possibility that that someone that they could, you know, someone could go after them or is that just because it's better for the company or what, could you shed some light on, on why something like that would be so important to CBS? Well, anytime a, a case is settled, release language would always can not always, but almost always contain a provision that the party paying out, um, admits no liability, admits no wrongdoing. Yeah. So any case that like this that resolves is without any, you know, on, within the document, without any findings of facts or admissions. Um, if there were to be some finding of fact or admissions contained in the release documents, that could be used potentially down the line in future litigation. It's always the case, John, that the language in a release will say, you know, no admission of liability. Sure. From any from a big five billion dollar case down to the smallest car accident, yep. they're all the same in terms of what the release would say. And obviously, very valuable to CBS folks. Again, we're speaking with our legal expert attorney Tim Dodd. Now, Tim, this story out of San Francisco—it's still bizarre. Uh, this guy breaks into the home of Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi. Just the legal element of it. Um, as much as he ended up apparently just hitting. Paul Pelosi with a hammer, and it's obviously a break in an entry. But boy, it really seems between the FBI, Capitol Police, uh, I, this this I, the charges sound very serious, and it it sure sounds like this, this guy is going to be in, in in jail for a very long time if he's deemed to be mentally competent. Okay, I mean, I'm not I'm not really sure. Um, mm -hmm. His online profile is. Um, um, unusual to say the least in terms of the things that he's spouting off about. Um, 
if we are to believe the early reports, you know, he wanted to get Nancy Pelosi and tie her up in a chair and kidnap her and ask her questions. And if she lied, he was going to break her kneecaps and all kinds of crazy stuff. So I'm guessing at some point there'll be a competency hearing. Is this guy mentally capable of standing trial or is he, you know, mentally unfit to stand trial? Um, the charges are serious right now. It's attempted kidnapping, allegedly, uh, attempted murder, allegedly, felony assault. I mean, these are all jail cases. And as we've seen um, with selective prosecutions, you know, the way um, prosecutors are going to handle this case um, with the pedal to the metal to keep this guy in jail, no bail, um, you know, multiple charges against him, he will be prosecuted in a far more um, serious and harsh manner than lots of other people who might have done similar things to anonymous people. And when I say anonymous, just not people who are in the public eye, like the Speaker of the House's husband. Um, It gets more scrutiny, but it's also this guy's going to get a much more serious prosecution a um, offer, I'm sure, of more jail time than if he had done the same thing to an anonymous, let's say, person who is not in the public eye. Tim Dodd, I want to give you a hypothetical. Someone had asked me about this. What if this individual had said, hey, listen, I broke into the house. I, did, I actually didn't know who lived there. I was just looking whatever. I had to go to the bathroom. I saw the door open. I mistaked the house. I, I thought I had been in there before. And suddenly this guy is hitting me with a hammer. It's self-defense that I'm defending myself. Is there an element of could someone claim self-defense even if you you, in fact, broke into someone someone else's home and then you were being attacked with a hammer? Well, he breaks into the house to use your hypothetical. That's a crime. Now, let's assume he is unarmed. But um, the homeowner um, comes at this guy who's just broken in with um, a machete and the guy who broke in to fend off the machete attack picks up, you know, a lamp, gets in a lucky shot and kills the homeowner. I mean, there'd be a potential issue of self-defense, but it's more likely that it would be seen as a felony murder because it would be a murder which was unintentionally committed during the perpetration of a felony. So it's not likely in your scenario that any claim of self-defense would be a winner. It's more likely that it wouldn't be first-degree murder, but it would probably be felony murder, and it wouldn't get him off the hook. One other just quick hypothetical. Someone was mentioning to me that there was an individual, someone broke into this guy's house. He happened to be a gun owner. The perpetrator, the assailant, whatever, the robber, breaks in. He then starts to flee the house, and the homeowner shoots him on the front lawn. Uh, this person was describing a scenario for me within the homeowner. They, they actually went after him saying, hey, the guy was fleeing. He was unarmed. That was excessive force for you to, sh- to, to shoot him. Is that is that accurate, Tim Dotter, with the whole castle doctrine kick in that, hey, your home, someone breaks into your home, you have a right to defend your, your property well, in your home? It somewhat depends on the jurisdiction. If you're in Florida or okay. if you're in, in Texas, you're much better off. But yeah. if the robber the guy who's committing the b and e um is chased by the homeowner with a weapon saying get out of my house and now the robber is shot within the house homeowner's okay however if the uh, robber gets out into the front lawn and the homeowner shoots the robber while on the front lawn the homeowner's going to get charged with wow. a crime. yeah I in most jurisdictions years- Okay, many years ago, there was a, a, I think, electronics place on North Main Street, and the owner was inside the shop, and he was armed, and someone broke into the electronics place, and I think he shot the guy. I don't remember, if you remember the case, whether or not he got jammed up, but we we did see the situation in New York earlier this year with a convenience guy. He actually, they they charged him. He was defending himself. This guy was trying to rob him, was beating him. So I, I, I think you're right that it depends on the jurisdiction. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead, our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro Show. OP 
Propane Plus in Rhode Island for all your propane needs. Call them 401 885 4209. In Massachusetts, you can reach them at 508 252 3359. Propane Heating and Cooling, it's Propane Plus. Their team's been there three generations. They're available 24 7 for service and delivery, and they plan on serving you for a long time to come. They offer online billing. Ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button. And remember, all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment. It's Propane Plus. And remember, with Propane, it's affordable, sustainable, equitable, good for the environment, and now it's renewable. Call Propane Plus today at 401 885 4209. In Massachusetts, call them at 508 252 3359. They're very easy to navigate website. It's propaneplus.com. Propane Plus. Call them 401 885 4209. We're speaking with our legal expert. It is attorney Tim Dunn. Tim, uh, President Trump has earned his own segment here as part of our segment. Uh, take a pick. Uh, he's constantly in the news with legal elements. One was apparently he did get a stay with the Supreme Court regarding uh he was asking them to intervene in one of his legal matters yes he he got an emergency stay a res- yep. uh, the tax uh, returns yeah about turning his um, tax returns over to the appropriate congressional committee so that's not a ruling on the merits of his request that's temporarily calling a timeout the supreme court is so it can be briefed further and um, further arguments can be made. Um, I think ultimately the Supreme Court, after having um, afforded President Trump this time out, will ultimately rule that he does have to turn over those tax returns. Oh, wow. I, don't, I don't just because they've given him a stay. I wouldn't read into it that uh, they're going to. Um, rule in his favor on them. Tim Dodd, what about these stories, the GOP bracing for Trump indictment soon after election day? It seemingly is, has gone quiet on uh, some of those fronts. Well, there's the lots of speculation in the political, you know, world in the political uh, print media that after the midterms, it's likely that Merritt Garland will charge the president regarding this Mar-a-Lago situation with obstruction and other crime, criminal charges. And Merrick Garland is in a situation where he is necessarily on a fast track. Yep. Technically, well, it's it's not technically. Traditionally, when political candidates are running for office, um, the um, Justice Department tries not to stick its nose in um, and charge individuals with crimes, et cetera, so yeah. as to interfere with the election process. Now, we're in 2022. The presidential election is in 2024. Merrick Garland's going to want to charge President Trump, if he can, as soon as possible, because let's assume that Trump announces shortly after the midterms that he's running. Yeah. And he starts to raise money and he's a declared candidate and he starts doing all of the things that a candidate would do. Mm. Um, under ordinary circumstances, that might keep the Justice Department from filing criminal charges against a presidential candidate. However, I don't think the rules apply with this administration and with a compliant media. Um, so I think that if Trump declared for president and the next day Merrick Garland indicted him, um, Trump would be upset. He'd be crying foul. Right. Um, but I, I don't think much more would happen. I think Merrick Garland would say I'm calling balls and strikes. Yeah. And, you know, the media is not going to um, wake up and say, wait a minute, even though this is Trump and we may not like Trump, this is a very bad precedent to be set for future candidates in future elections. Um, But if Trump declared that on November 9th, I don't think that would dissuade Merrick Garland from indicting. And I think he will. Yeah. And you do think he will. 
Oh yeah, they, it, to, 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 to keep to keep Trump on the ropes politically. Yes, if nothing else. Yeah, and and uh, it should be noted. And again, folks, speaking about legal expert attorney Tim Todd, um, as someone you know, the two of us we discuss this, and then I follow it as close I would say as anyone in the media. But um, to date, we we still haven't heard. Uh, and maybe that's because of his lawyers, but he, we haven't heard an explanation of exactly why he did have those documents at, at, at Mar-a-Lago or some of the actions that, you know, that were leading up to that. We know that they were certainly seemingly squeezing that military aid that he had. And But you got the Secret Service there. You have footage there. Um, you had that Christina Bob signing the document, swearing that, that it wasn't there. But maybe it's because of his um, – there's been speculation. Chris Christie was saying – thought he was just kind of keeping it as a trophy because he's no longer included in intelligence briefings. He wanted to be able to show, you know, guests and so forth that see, I still have this stuff. Um, but, um, but we, we, we have not heard any type of, of explanation and maybe they're, they're waiting to see if in fact they're going to have to um, need it or use it in a court of law. But Tim Dodd, you and I have um, discussed for quite some time, you know, you have this situation where a number of Asian students get rejected at Harvard it has nothing to do with with uh, capability and uh, scores and what they do with SATs and the basic grades, but basically Harvard set a limit on the number of Asian students that they could get into Harvard, and they started rejecting them. And then this practice kind of became widespread with different universities. And this this case finally has made its way to the Supreme Court. And um, I'm curious how you what we we know so far and how you think this is going to come down. I think the Supreme Court during the arguments this week um, displayed much skepticism towards the notion of racial preferences in admission um, practices at Harvard and other institutions. I mean, test scores are test scores, grades are grades recommendations or recommendations you know you can be editor of the yearbook and captain of the football team and there's all these um, intangible things that can influence who gets accepted to colleges there's geographic considerations there's all kinds of considerations but i think these asian students are saying well wait a minute if we're disproportionately good candidates academically, socially, you know, extracurricularly in every other way, why are we getting uh, rejected, although we're the best candidates? And I'm, I'm paraphrasing there. And I think Harvard has said, you know, we look at other intangible things. Right. You know, are these students courageous? You yeah. know, are they bold? What, what does that even mean? Mm. Um, trying to come up with adjectives which they can say we rely on in our selection process. Um, I think that the Supreme Court is going to rule in favor of the Asian students, but I think they will do it with a carve-out to preserve much of the affirmative action systems that uh, permeate um, many, many uh, facets of our societal interaction. I don't think it's going to be an outright um, discarding of the notion of racial preferences. I don't think they're going to go that far. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Segment Tim Dodd, legal expert, right here on the John DePietro Show. The next time you have an emergency, head straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122 in Johnston, or East Greenwich 5750 Post Road. AtMed Urgent Care. Urgent health care facility providing comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals, families, specializing in ambulatory medicine, diagnostic treatment service, AtMed Urgent Care. They provide immunization, school, sports physicals. They're a cost-efficient health care alternative to hospital-based emergencies. They're open seven days a week, walk-in routine urgent care, minor surgical, orthopedic and trauma, work-related injuries, physical exams, drug testing, full laboratory services, and with AtMed Urgent Care, they offer mononuclear antibody infusions. You, someone in your family suffering from COVID, 
you want to go straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, Johnston, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122, or East Greenwich, 5750 Post Road, online at atmedurgentcare.net. You're speaking with our legal expert, it's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, we've talked about some of the J6, January 6th defendants, how they've been treated, how this whole investigation has been done. But even this one caught me off guard. Seven years, the man that apparently dragged the officer into the mob of rioters, seven years in prison for showing up there and, and being part of the mob. Um, is this the type, I mean, do you think eventually could this get kicked on on, on appeal and then it's time served? It just seems, boy, but but at the same time, I mean, they it was a, they feel they have the right guy and it certainly was a frightening situation. But I want to hear your legal thoughts on this rioter that, Seven years in prison. Well, if he assaulted a uniformed police officer and dragged that police officer into a mob where the officer was subjected to further assault, I believe he was tased uh, at least once um, with either a taser or a cattle prod or some such um, device. Um, Seven years is a long time, and there's you know, lots of sentiment out there that the January 6th defendants also being treated in a disproportionately harsh fashion. But I don't necessarily think that the seven-year sentence is unreasonable based upon all the circumstances when you read what actually happened to this uh, victim um, at the hands of this defendant. And I think the defendant also had said, you know, come with me, I'll help you out. And then he dragged him right into a crowd of the rioters. Wow. So, you know, he, he was a bad actor. Yeah. Um, and he subjected this cop to a lot of physical abuse. Hmm. Um, I, I, I don't think it's a disproportionate sentence. I think what's going on in the pretrial situation where some of the January 6th defendants are being held from what I understand in solitary confinement. They've got difficult times accessing their lawyers and uh, being unable to make bail for in many cases, our offenses much less significant than for instance, what's happening in New York state and California, et cetera. So the pretrial treatment of these January 6th defendants I think raises lots of questions. I think the sentence regarding this particular defendant with this cop um, is in line with what the facts showed at trial. Folks, we're speaking with our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, let's talk about some of these election stories. Federal judge in Arizona has barred an election monitoring group from activities including taking photos, carrying guns to ballot boxes. Now, first of all, in Arizona, it's it's much more you, you'd see people um, carrying a firearm, but what about the fact, because of what happened in 2020, there are people that are paying attention, and apparently Arizona is ground zero for these groups, and they want to see who are these people that are dropping off these these uh, these ballots into these drop boxes. Yes, and I'm sure this ju- – I didn't read this judge's decision, but I'm sure it's the intimidation factor. Mm. If there's people with weapons hanging around ballot boxes <laughs> – taking pictures that's going to have a chilling effect if i'm a guy who wants to drop off let's say 20 ballots for myself and all of my family members and friends um am i going to be willing to do that or am i going to be scared off by these people with weapons and video equipment taking my picture so i think that to the extent that there is um an attempt to threaten people who want to vote by mail ballot and put them in drop boxes. I think the judge has a point. Um, I'm sure that that decision will be appealed to a higher court. Uh, There's not much time because there's an election next week. So I'm not sure there'll be time for any other reviewing court to craft a different uh, set of limitations on this, what this group can do. Um, But you're right. I mean, this whole um, paper ballot drop boxes and everything else that came into play because of the, um, the pandemic and has been sort of now institutionalized or codified that all of these 
loosening of voting restrictions, which came into play in 2020, are still in play here in 2022 and might be in 2024. It's a recipe for potential fraud. And I can see why there's groups out there worried about fraud. There's already litigation around the country challenging some of the voting uh, systems that are being set up in the various states. And it's all precipitated by this excessive early voting, no notary voting, no witness voting. It's it's a recipe for at least the suspicion of fraudulent activity. Yeah. Is there proof of it? That's a different story. But Mm. I think folks being suspicious about shenanigans going on um, can't be just discarded out of hand. Oh, you're crazy fraud um right the the system the the system begs begs shenanigans basically the film that really kicked us into high gear 2000 mules it was done by dinesh d'souza with salem they were announcing hey movie did 10 to 12 million well sure enough there's some pretty strong accusations in the film and what are we to make that one of the people accused of committing election fraud um is now suing him for defamation well, yes, anyone can sue anyone for anything. Filing a lawsuit's easy. Proving right. the allegations is the tricky bit. Cool. So, you know, truth is an absolute defense. So if somebody wants to sue Dinesh D'Souza for defamation, if what Dinesh D'Souza set forth in the movie is factually incorrect and is put out there as a true statement or about this particular person's conduct, it's either a truthful representation by Dinesh D'Souza or it's not. If it's truthful, that's an absolute defense. If it's not, it's exposed just like anyone else for monetary damages for defamation. Hmm. Uh, I wonder if Tim Dodd, if this is going to fall under the Alex Jones category of where the judge says, just because you believe it to be true doesn't make it make it true. Dinesh D'Souza could say, well, that's what I think happened, but this is an opinion. We're, we're dealing in facts. Tim Dodd, are you uh, as an attorney surprised that they still have not discovered who leaked the Dobbs decision uh, from the Supreme Court that then, you know, called uh, caused all hell to break loose? No, I'm not surprised. I don't think they're ever going to figure it out because the feds aren't really investigating it. The FBI is not investigating it. My understanding is the internal security force or whatever they're called for the Supreme Court is leading this investigation. And this is the type of sophisticated investigation I'm sure they've never touched before. I don't know that they have the manpower, the resources, the technology or whatever else might be necessary to figure this out. So if the right individuals aren't doing the investigation and they don't have the right experience or the right tools to get it done, it's not going to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know there's lots of talk now. It's election time. Oh, we're going to know in a week. Oh, it's coming soon. We're going to have a report. Based on the folks who are doing the investigation, I don't think they're going to come up with the answer. Mm-hmm. One more uh, final story, and, and it was a Trump story that I skipped over, but John Eastman, he was there January 6th. He was next to Giuliani on stage, the whole let's have trial by combat the uh new york times they've got a hold of some emails boy tim dodd this georgia case just won't go away if anything seems to be getting worse but john eastman warned president trump warned if he falsely swore he had evidence of voter fraud georgia president trump and his lawyers could face prosecution he also suggested trying to get a case in front of judge clarence thomas could help delay the certification what are the consequences if you do have an attorney warning you listen if you falsely swear that you have evidence of photo fraud you're you're going to be in in trouble over this there seems to be this reoccurring theme where people are swearing things much like the christina bob and and i don't know on the other side it's 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 almost as if tim dodd like they they don't fully take serious the consequences of these sworn uh false statements i i think that's endemic around the country that yeah. oh, I, I'll just sign that on I'll, I'll just sign that affidavit. That's all right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not sure at the presidential level, people should be so cavalier 
But many times I've got clients who say, you know, this is an affidavit. Yeah, I can sign that. Yeah, but this isn't true. Yeah, that's all right. I'll sign it anyways. No, no, you're not <laughs> going to do that. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, people don't understand sometimes the significance or the severity of what happens with a false swearing. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what it is that people are very cavalier saying, I'll just sign that. That's fine. No problem. Um, I'm sure that might've been the attitude with some of these people uh, at Mar-a-Lago who may not have fully appreciated the consequences of what they were doing, but that's no excuse. So if they've signed false, swore false affidavits, um, they're going to suffer the consequences. Uh, And it seems to be, as you say, a recurring theme that people in the Trump orbit are warned about these things and, By, by some method or other, the affidavits get signed by someone other than the president. Yeah, it's, uh, it, seems, <laughs> I, I, it just seems to be this, we'll, we'll figure it out when we get there type of thing. But, but uh, they seem to be running into some problems. Folks, again, he is our legal expert, Rhode Island attorney, Tim Dodd. Tim, great job as always. We will talk to you again. Thanks, John. Take care. It's getting cold already this winter. Keep your family, your employees warm with Matthews Oil Company. Call them today, 401-942-7500. Matthews Oil Company, 24-hour emergency service. For over four generations, they make it easy to keep your home comfortable and safe. Trusted oil delivery. Call Matthews Oil Company today, 401-942-7500. You can find them online matthewsoil.com matthews oil premier dealer rhode island delivering the highest quality heating fuels at matthews oil they take pride providing reliable affordable service for you and your family celebrating 90 years of service call them now it's going to be a cold winter get that tank filled call matthews oil company today 401-942-7500 in an emergency they offer 24-hour emergency service Matthews Oil Company, 401-942-7500. The Coesed Inn, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition. Since 1977, delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Stop it and see them. All year round, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. To the John DePietro Show, it's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Remember, you can always listen online at our website, dipietro.com. Folks, visit the website. On the website, you'll see all our links to social media, whether it's Facebook or YouTube, Instagram, even TikTok. Plus, you if you want to reach me, that's the best way to do it. We have unique original stories videos content log on right at the website dipetro.com